Welcome to the channel of Anna Purdue. Look for the link below the podcast and make sure to upload the podcast so you can multitask while hearing the message. And you can also look for the link and um, once you open it up, you can scroll over and select your favorite platform, Apple, Spotify, or Google, and just look for the channel Anna Purdue. A huge shout out to Beverly C. Hugh R. Walter M., Neil and Lisa H. and Nancy S. for your donations to the channel. And if you're able and are interested in helping this channel, you can do so by clicking the donation link found on my website at annapurdue.com. Dr. Philip Nietzsche has devoted his life to the radical belief that every person should have the tools to die. Now, his latest device could disrupt suicide laws across the globe. A 3D printed suicide capsule has passed a legal review in Switzerland, potentially clearing the way for the technology to be put into use in the country's legal assisted suicide clinics. The Sarco Capsules creator, Dr. Philip Nietzsche, said that his aim was to allow anyone to download the design and print it themselves. In the future, an AI screening process will allow Nietzsche's assisted dying advocacy organization, Exit International, to demedicalize the dying process by removing the need for medical professionals to be involved, he said. He said that an Exit International commissioned review carried out by Swiss legal academic Daniel Herleman had confirmed that the Sarco did not break any regulations governing medical products, narcotics, dangerous chemicals, or weapons. The review also concluded that assisting the suicide of a competent person by means of Sarco does not constitute an offense under the criminal code. The review commissioned reassured there were no legal issues that were missing and that from a legal Swiss legal viewpoint, that is no problem either with the issue of Sarko at a euthanasia clinic or I can't believe we're talking about a euthanasia clinic. This is unbelievable. Or by a Swiss individual who wishes to print and use the machines themselves. The Sarko capsule can only be operated from the inside. Users will be able to press a button, blink, or gesture to release nitrogen gas that induces a state of hypoxia and eventually death. Prototype versions of the Sarko have been exhibited at museums and art galleries in the Netherlands and Germany. This device also features an emergency stop button and an escape hatch, according to a video featuring its designer, Alexander Bannock. Exit International does not plan to offer Sarko for sale, choosing instead to distribute the design to people who will have access to a 3D printer and they can print it themselves, as well as working with assisted suicide clinics in Switzerland. However, the doctor who created a 3D printing suicide pod now wants to create a reverse dead man switch implant to help dementia and Alzheimer's patients end their own lives. Dr. Nietzsche said his nonprofit is looking into a device that will end the person's life if they forget to deactivate it after a day or two, but admits they haven't crossed significant legal barriers yet. 
He claims it will protect doctors from the moral dilemma when a patient claims no knowledge of previously signing papers requesting euthanasia. But wait, it seems this doctor has found an even more decisive plan to eliminate the undesirables. Dr. Philip Nitschke, the Australian euthanasia activist, also known as Dr. Death, has recently revealed new plans to create an implantable medical device for people living with degenerative brain disorders like dementia and Alzheimer's disease that will kill its users if not deactivated on a regular basis. The announcement comes amid controversy surrounding Nitschke's suicide pod, and Nitschke has shared that his team is already brainstorming their next creation. Oh my goodness. The implantable device he plans to create for people with brain disorders will need to be switched off on a daily basis. Oh boy. Can you imagine? I mean, I some. I can't even remember to take my vitamins daily. Oh, my goodness. It will beep for a day or two before activating in order to ensure the user's disease has progressed far enough for them to forget to deactivate the device. When you've forgotten why you're switching something off that's beeping, then you will die, Nietzsche said. That puts the responsibility right back onto the person and allows them to get what they want, which is that they do not want to live on as some form of vegetable with no prepared, no one prepared, or no way to prepare to end their lives. He said his device will give users full control of their lives. That's not to say there won't be significant legal and technical barriers to overcome. I don't think there's anyone you're likely to get much satisfaction from anyone if you say, I'm going to go around implanting poison into someone, Nietzsche said, adding that his team had also not yet figured out how the device will work. What is the poison? What is the thing that's going to stop the living that can be so implantable? How will it be released? This device could be the perfect tool for those trying to complete the first commandment found on the Georgia Guidestones in Elberton, Georgia. The granite etching reads, Maintain humanity under 500 million in perpetual balance with nature. And I saw thrones, and they sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God, and which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. Revelation 24. Besides the beheadings foretold, will pods and chips be another tool to eliminate humankind? I don't know. But considering all that is taking place today, this certainly seems ominous and apocalyptic. Meanwhile, President Joe Biden is urging Americans to get the DNA therapy puncture modality amid a surge in cases linked to the Omicron variant, warning of a winter of severe illness and death. 
for those who are yet to get their DNA altered for the worldwide lab-created sickness. This next statement comes from a Rockefeller Forum. The report of the Commission on Population Growth and the American Future. And this was in 1969. One of the most serious challenges to human destiny in the last third of this century will be the growth of the population. Whether man's response to that challenge will be a cause for pride or for despair in the year 2000 will depend very much on what we do today. If we now begin our work in an appropriate manner, and if we continue to devote a considerable amount of attention and energy to this problem, then mankind will be able to surmount this challenge as it has surmounted so many during the long march of civilization. Richard Nixon said that July 18, 1969. You can find the link to this report at my website, annapurdue.com. So just look for this episode, and this link is within the body of the script text and at the end of the script text as well, so you can see for yourself how far back our elected have been planning our demise. And this would be link number six for this um, podcast that we're doing today. The preface of this report reads... In our interim report a year ago, the Commission defined the scope of our mandate to formulate policy for the future, policy designed to deal with the pervasive impact of population growth on every facet of American life. We said that population growth of the magnitude we have experienced since World War II has multiplied and intensified many of our domestic problems and made their solution more difficult. We called upon the American people to begin considering the meaning and consequences of population growth and internal migration and the desirability of formulating a national policy on the question. Since then, the Commission and staff have conducted an extensive inquiry. We have enlisted many of the nation's leading scientists in more than 100 research projects. There we go. That's where the scientists came in. We have heard from more than 100 witnesses in public hearings across the country and have met with experts in many days of executive meetings. And we are aware that the population has become an active subject of consideration in a number of states in our country concerned about their future. We have come to recognize that the racial and ethnic diversity of this commission gives us confidence that our recommendations, the consensus of our members, do indeed point the way in which this nation should move in solving its problems. Because of the importance of this matter, the Commission recommends that future federal commissions include a substantial representation of minorities, youth, poor citizens, and women among their members, including congressional representatives and the Commission staffs and consultants, include significant numbers of the minorities, youth, and women. We offer this report in the hope that our viewpoints and recommendations will stimulate serious consideration and response by the citizens of this nation and of nations throughout the world to an issue of great consequence to present and future generations. 
So they think our very lives are of great consequence to present and future generations. In the report, there are entire sections dedicated to the suppression of reproduction. Here is another excerpt taken from the report. If this country is in a crisis of spirit, environmental deterioration, racial antagonisms, the plight of the cities, the international situation, then population is part of that crisis. What a horrible statement. Here's another disgusting statement. The potential conflict between these two levels is mitigated by the knowledge that freedom from unwanted childbearing would contribute significantly to the stabilization of population. In other words, abortions will stabilize the population. This Rockefeller report on the population report continues with these words. Our immediate goal is to modernize demographic behavior in this country to encourage the American people to make population choices, both in the individual family and society at large, on the basis of greater rationality rather than tradition or custom, ignorance or chance. This country has already moved some distance down this road. It should now complete the journey. The time has come to challenge the tradition that population growth is desirable. What was unintended may turn out to be unwanted in the society as in the family. In any case, more rational attitudes are now forced upon us by the revolutionary increase in average length of life within the past century, which has placed modern man in a completely different, historically unique demographic situation. The social institutions and customs that have shaped reproductive behavior in the past are no longer appropriate in the modern world and need reshaping to suit the new situation. Moreover, the instruments of population policy are now more readily available. Fuller knowledge of demographic impacts, better information on demographic trends, improved means by which individuals may control their own fertility. As a commission, we have come to appreciate the delicate complexities of the subject and the difficulty, even the impossibility, of solving the problem, however defined, in its entirety and all at once. But this is certainly the time to begin. The 1970s may not simply be simply another decade in the demographic transition, but a critical one involving changes in family life and the role of women, dynamics of the metropolitan process, the depopulation of rural areas, the movement and the needs of disadvantaged minorities, the era of the young adults produced by the baby boom and the attendant question of what their own fertility will be. Baby boom or baby bust? Finally, we agree that population policy goals must be sought in full consonance with the fundamental values of American life, respect for human freedom, human dignity, and individual fulfillment and concern for social justice and social welfare. 
to solve population problems at the cost of such values would be a pyrrhic victory indeed. The issues are ethical in character, and their proper solution requires a deep sense of moral responsibility on the part of both the individual family and the national community. The former in considering another birth, the latter in considering appropriate policies to guide population growth into the American future. By its very nature, population is a continuing concern and should receive continuing attention. Later generations and later commissions will be able to see the right path further into the future. In any case, no generation needs to know the ultimate goal or the final means, only the direction in which they will be found. It is important to understand the goals and beliefs of these eugenists never went away. In fact, they have been conducting eugenist operations on the public in the West since World War II. Fluoride in the water, mercury in the yearly flu punctures, and GMO crops all contribute to the creation of a sick, dumb, and compliant population. The overarching desires for population reduction has been implemented in two forms, hard kill and soft kill. The hard kill versions created in bioweapons research labs includes AIDS, Ebola, and SARS. These programs were designed for large-scale population reduction. As Henry Kissinger said, population reduction has different characteristics in different parts of the world. In the West, the slow-kill method has been implemented. This includes puncture modalities containing mercury and simian-40 cancer viruses, fluoride and water supplies like used by Hitler and Stalin in their concentration camps, the introduction of the excitotoxin aspartame into the food supply, the presence of xenoestrogen, bisphenol in plastics, the introduction of GMO crops, and their well-understood destructive side effects. The use of cell phones will result in brain cancer for millions in coming years as a result of the radiation and the use of microwave ovens, which the Soviets banned in the 1970s due to the fact that they destroy the nutritive content of food. Further, the combined effects of these programs have manifested with a 75% reduction in the sperm counts in the Western males, according to the UN, and an increase in the rates of cancer from 1 in 66 to 1 in 3 over the past 50 years. A critical aspect of control is the compliance and acceptance of the population of allopathic medicine and medical orthodoxy and its partner, Big Pharma, under the population, but under how what they're doing is they're controlling the population by drugging them. A critical part of this agenda is the suppression of alternative herbal medicine and the advancement of Codex Alimentaris, which severely redistrict natural health products available to the public. While the true intent of the chemical spraying of the skies that has been going on full scale since the late 1990s is unknown, since the governments refuse to tell the public 
the true purpose. We do know that the chemicals being sprayed include aluminum, barium, and cadmium, all of which have detrimental effects on the human immune system. Consequently, we could conclude they are softening the immune systems of the public for the upcoming lab-created diseases which we are repeatedly told are inevitable. Now, with Dr. Death promoting his death pods and implantable death devices, it seems the Rockefeller population control plans of 1969 are full steam ahead. <laughs>